Excellent suggestions to combat the deteriorating world and environment have been given in this conference. As a prophet of God, President Gordon B. Hinckley has clarified world conditions and our opportunities in crystal clear perspective. Two of his recent comments to priesthood and auxiliary leaders illustrate that prophetic vision. First, regarding the challenge we face, the traditional family is under heavy attack. I do not know that things were worse in the times of Sodom and Gomorrah. We see similar conditions today. They prevail all across the world. I think our father must weep as he looks down upon his wayward sons and daughters now concerning the extraordinary opportunities we have. Who in the older days could have dreamed of this season of opportunity in which we live? The Church is in wonderful condition. It will grow and strengthen. It is our opportunity and our challenge to continue this great undertaking, the future of which we can scarcely imagine. You have a choice. You can wring your hands and be consumed with concern for the future, or choose to use the counsel the Lord has given to live with peace and happiness in a world awash with evil. If you choose to concentrate on the dark side, this is what you'll see. Much of the world is being engulfed in a rising river of degenerate filth. With the abandonment of virtue, righteousness, personal integrity, traditional marriage, family life, Satan skillfully manipulates the power of all types of media and communication. His success has greatly increased extent and availability of such degrading and destructive influences worldwide. In the past, some effort was required to seek out such evil. Now it saturates significant portions of virtually every corner of the world. We cannot dry up the mounting river of evil influences, for they result from the exercise of moral agency divinely granted by our Father. But we can and must, with clarity, warn of the consequences of getting close to its enticing destructive current. Now the brighter side. Despite pockets of evil, the world overall is majestically beautiful, filled with many good and sincere people. God has provided a way to live in this world and not be contaminated by the degrading pressure spread throughout it. You can live a virtuous, productive, righteous life by following the plan of protection created by your Father in Heaven, His plan of happiness. It is contained in the scriptures and in the inspired declarations of His prophets. He clothed your intelligence with spirit and made it possible for you to enjoy the wonder of a physical body. When you use that body in the way He has decreed, you will grow in strength and capacity, will avoid transgression, and be abundantly blessed. When God, our Eternal Father, and His 
beloved son, appeared to Joseph Smith in that sublime vision in the sacred grove. They be- he began to place on earth again that plan of happiness and all required to sustain it. Part of that restoration included additional sacred scriptures to complement the treasured record of the Bible. These precious scriptures are contained in the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Prize. Our Father knew of our day. He prepared the scriptures and provided continuing divine guidance to sustain us. That help will surely make sure you can live in peace and happiness amid increasing evil. Consider these verses. All things must come to pass in their time. God knew the challenges you would face, then gave this counsel. Wherefore, be not weary in well-doing, for ye are laying the foundation of a great work, and out of small things proceedeth that which is great. Behold, the Lord requireth the heart and a willing mind, and the willing and obedient shall eat the good of the land of Zion in these last days. That is a priceless promise. As you continue to center your mind and heart in Him, He will help you have a rich and full life, no matter what happens in the world around you. Paul wisely taught, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We should emulate Joshua. Choose ye this day whom ye will serve. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Jesus taught, Be patient in afflictions, for I shall have many. But endure them, for, lo, I am with thee, even unto the end of thy days. Finally, this pattern of success. Come unto Christ and be perfected in Him. Deny yourselves of all ungodliness and love God with all your might, mind, and strength, that by His grace He may be perfect in Christ. I know that the plan of happiness can lift and bless those who live it anywhere. On Christmas Eve 37 years ago, in the light of a full moon, I climbed a small hill in the isolated village of Kitisa, Bolivia. Four young elders and I spent the day crossing over a mountain pass on a treacherous road. Then we struggled up a riverbed to see if the teachings of the Savior could help a destitute people. What we saw that day was discouraging. Undernourished children, adults subsisting on meat crops, some with eyes glazed, seeking refuge with alcohol and drugs. I looked at the tiny barren village below, a cluster of adobe thatched roof houses beaten by the harsh environment. There was no electricity, telephone, running water, roads, proper sanitation, or doctors. It seemed so hopeless. 
Did a solemn prayer confirm that we should be there? We found a humble people who embraced the restored gospel with determination to live it. They did that under harsh conditions, where severe poverty, alcohol, drugs, and witchcraft and immorality were in plentiful supply. Under the guidance of exceptional missionaries, the people learned to work hard, to cultivate the fields. They produced a harvest of nutritious vegetables and raised rabbits for better protein. But the best lessons came from beloved missionaries who taught about God who loved them, of a Savior who gave his life that they might succeed. Their physical appearance began to change. The light of truth radiated from their happy faces. As devoted, loving emissaries of the Lord, missionaries patiently taught truth to a willing people. Wives and husbands learned how to live in harmony, teach truth to their children, pray, and sense guidance of the Spirit. I watched a six-year-old boy who had carefully observed our first baptismal service act out with his younger sister what he'd seen. He carefully arranged her hands, raised his tiny arm to the square, mumbled words, gently lowered her into a depression in the sun-baked earth, led her to a rock where he confirmed her, then shook her hand. The youth learned most quickly. They became obedient to the light of truth taught by missionaries and in time by their own parents. Through faith and obedience, I have seen how in one generation youth baptized in that village have overcome a seemingly hopeless future. Some have been missionaries, graduated from universities, and been sealed in the temple. Through their diligence and obedience, they have found purpose and success in life. Despite an early harsh, physical, and evil-saturated environment, if it can be done in Kirisa, Bolivia, it can be done anywhere. Have you noticed how Satan works to capture the mind and emotions with flashing images blaring music, and a stimulation of every physical sense to excess. He diligently strives to fill life with action, entertainment, and stimulation so that one cannot ponder the consequences of his tempting invitations. Think of it. Some are tempted to violate the most basic commandments of God because of seductive actions portrayed as acceptable. They are made to seem attractive, even desirable. There seems to be no serious consequence, rather apparent lasting joy and happiness. But recognize that those performances are controlled by scripts and actors. The outcome of this Decisions made is likewise manipulated to be whatever the producer wants. Life is not that way. 
Yes, moral agency allows you to choose what you will, but you cannot control the outcome of those choices, unlike the false creations of man. Our Father in Heaven determines the consequences of your choices. Obedience will yield happiness, while violation of His commandments will not. Consider the lives of those who create what for some are captivating images of life. They generally turn to the most vicious of the destructive influences they depict so appealingly in the media. They may be wealthy, but they are miserable and without conscience. Truly the statement of Alma, an inspired prophet and compassionate father, is borne out in their lives. Wickedness never was happiness. If you are ever tempted to experiment with alluring offerings of Lucifer, first calmly analyze the inevitable consequences of such choices, and your life will not be shattered. You cannot ever sample those things that are forbidden of God as destructive of happiness and corrosive to spiritual guidance without tragic results. If you have become entangled in sin from poor choices, please decide to come back now. You know how to begin. Do it now. We love you. We need you. God will help you. As a young man or woman, though life may seem difficult now, hold on to that iron rod of truth. You're making better progress than you realize. Your struggles are defining character, discipline, and confidence in the promises of your Father in Heaven and the Savior as you consistently obey their commandments. You are so important. You are so needed. There are so few willing to make the sacrifice you're making to live righteously. You can develop the sensitivity, love, and kindness to gain supreme happiness within the covenant of an eternal marriage. You'll bless your children with insight their world can never give them. Your example will set the course for their successful life as the world becomes even more difficult. You're needed to strengthen the growing kingdom of the Lord and to be role models for so many who lack the light of truth you have. Avoid worldly wickedness. Know that God is in control. In time, Satan will completely fail and be punished for his perverse evil. God has a specific plan for your life. He'll reveal parts of that plan to you as you look for it with faith and consistent obedience. His Son has made you free, not from the consequences of your acts, but free to make choices. God's eternal purpose is for you to be successful in this mortal life. No matter how wicked the world becomes, you can earn that blessing. 
Seek to be attentive to the personal guidance given to you through the Holy Spirit. Continue to be worthy to receive it. Reach out to others who stumble and are perplexed, not certain of what path to follow. Your security is in God your Father and His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. As one of His apostles authorized to bear witness of Him, I solemnly testify that I know that the Savior lives, that He is a resurrected, glorified personage of perfect love. He is your hope, your mediator, your redeemer. Through obedience, let Him guide you to peace and happiness amid increased evil in the world. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. It is a privilege to stand before you at this General Relief Society conference. I recognize that beyond you who are gathered in this conference center, there are many thousands watching and listening to the proceedings by way of satellite transmission. As I speak to you tonight, I realize that as a man, I am in the minority. <laughs> I must be cautious in my comments. I feel much like the shy country cousin who came to visit his relative in a large cosmopolitan city. He had not sought his kinsman for some years and was startled when a young boy answered the ringing of the doorbell. The lad asked him in, and after they were comfortably seated, he inquired, Who are you anyway? The visitor answered, I am a cousin on your father's side. Whereupon the boy replied, Mister, in this house, that puts you on the wrong side. <laughs> I trust that tonight in this house, I might be found on the right side, even the Lord's side. Years ago, I saw a photograph of a Sunday school class in the sixth ward of the Pioneer Stake in Salt Lake City. The photograph was taken in 1905. A sweet girl, her hair and pigtails, was shown on the front row. Her name was Belle Smith. Later, as Belle Smith Spafford, General President of the Relief Society, she wrote, Never have women had greater influence than in today's world. Never have the doors of opportunity opened wider for them. This is an inviting, exciting, challenging, and demanding period of time for women. It is a time rich in rewards if we keep our balance, learn the true values of life, and wisely determine priorities. The Relief Society organization has had a goal to help eliminate illiteracy. Those of us who can read and write do not appreciate the deprivation of those who cannot read, who cannot write. They are shrouded by a dark cloud which stifles their progress, dulls their intellect, and dims their hopes. Sisters of the Relief Society, you can lift this cloud of despair 
and welcome heaven's divine light as it shines upon your sisters. Some years ago, I was in Monroe, Louisiana, attending a regional conference. It was a beautiful occasion. At the airport on my way home, I was approached by a lovely African-American woman, a member of the Church, who said, smiling broadly, President Monson, before I joined the Church and became a member of Relief Society, I could not read nor write. None of my family could. You see, we were all poor sharecroppers. President, my white Relief Society sisters, they taught me to read. They taught me to write. Now I help teach my white sisters how to read and how to write. I reflected on the supreme joy she must have felt when she opened her Bible and read for the first time the words of the Lord. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That day in Monroe, Louisiana, I received a confirmation by the Spirit of the exalted objective of the Relief Society to help eliminate illiteracy. The poet wrote, You may have tangible wealth untold, caskets of jewels and coffers of gold. Richer than I you can never be. I had a mother who read to me. Another added this poignant verse, But think of the fate of a different child whose manner is meek, whose temper is mild, while yet instilled with that same special need, was born to a mother who could not read. Parents everywhere have a concern for their children and their eternal happiness. This is depicted in the musical Fiddler on the Roof, one of the longest-running musicals in the history of the stage. One laughs as he observes the old-fashioned father of a Jewish family in Russia as he attempts to cope with the changing times brought forcibly home to him by his beautiful teenage daughters. The gaiety of the dance, the rhythm of the music, the excellence of the acting all fade in their significance. When old Tevya speaks what to me becomes the message of the musical, he gathers his lovely daughters to his side and in the simplicity of his peasant surroundings counsels them as they ponder their future. Remember, cautions Tevya, in Anatevka, each one of you knows who you are and what God expects you to become. You, my beloved sisters, know who you are and what God expects you to become. Your challenge is to bring all for whom you are responsible to a knowledge of this truth. The Relief Society of this the Lord's Church can be the means to achieve such a goal. The first and foremost opportunity for teaching in the Church lies in the home, observed President David O. McKay. And I quote, 
A true Mormon home is one in which, if Christ should chance to enter, he would be pleased to linger and to rest." Close quote. What are we doing to ensure that our homes meet this description? It isn't enough for parents alone to have strong testimonies. Children can ride only so long on the coattails of a parent's conviction. President Heber J. Grant declared, it is our duty to teach our children in their youth. I may know that the gospel is true, and so may my wife, but I want to tell you that our children will not know that the gospel is true unless they study it and gain a testimony for themselves." Close quote. A love for the Savior, a reverence for His name, and genuine respect one for another will provide a fertile seedbed for a testimony to grow. Learning the gospel, bearing a testimony, leading a family are rarely, if ever, simple processes. Life's journey is characterized by bumps in the road, swells in the sea, even the turbulence of our times. Some years ago, while visiting the members and missionaries in Australia, I witnessed a sublime example depicting how a treasury of testimony can bless and sanctify a home. The mission president, Horace D. Ensign, and I were traveling by plane the long distance from Sydney to Darwin, where I was to break ground for our first chapel in that city. En route, we had a scheduled fueling stop at a remote mining community named Mount Isa. As we entered the small airport, a woman and her two young children approached. She said, I am Judith Loudon, a member of the Church, and these are my children. We thought you might be on this flight, so we've come to visit with you during your brief stopover. She explained that her husband was not a member of the Church and that she and the children were indeed the only members in the entire area. We shared experiences and bore testimony. Time passed. As we prepared to reboard, Sister Loudon looked so forlorn, so alone, she pleaded, You can't go yet. I've so missed the Church. Suddenly over the loudspeaker, there was announced a 30-minute mechanical delay of our flight. Sister Loudon whispered, My prayer has been answered. She then asked how she might influence her husband to show an interest in the gospel. We counseled her to include him in their home primary lesson each week and be to him a living testimony of the gospel. I mentioned we would send to her a subscription to the children's friend and additional helps for her family teaching. We urged that she never give up on her husband. We departed Mount Isa, a city to which I have never returned. I shall, however, always hold dear in memory that sweet mother and those precious children, extending a tear-filled expression and a fond wave of gratitude and goodbye. Several years later, while speaking at a priesthood leadership meeting in Brisbane, Australia, 
I emphasize the significance of gospel scholarship in the home and the importance of living the gospel and being examples of the truth. I shared with the men assembled the account of Sister Loudon and the impact of her faith and determination had had on me. As I concluded, I said, I suppose I'll never know Sister Loudon's husband whether or ever he joined the Church, but he couldn't have found a better model to follow than his wife. One of the leaders raised his hand, then stood and declared, Brother Monson, I am Richard Loudon. The woman of whom you speak is my wife. The children, and his voice quavered, are our children. We are a forever family now, thanks in part to the persistence and the patience of my dear wife. She did it all. Not a word was spoken. The silence was broken only by sniffles and marked by the sight of tears. We do live in turbulent times. Often the future is unknown. Therefore, it behooves us to prepare for uncertainties. Statistics reveal that at some time, for a variety of reasons, you may find yourself in the role of financial provider. I urge you to pursue your education and learn marketable skills so that such a situation arises, you are prepared to provide. The role of women is unique. The renowned American essayist, novelist, and historian Washington Irving stated, There is one in the world who feels for him who is sad, a keener pang than he feels for himself. There is one to whom reflected joy is better than that which comes direct. There is one who rejoices in another's honor more than in any which is one's own. There is one in whom and on whom transcendent excellence sheds no beam but that of delight. There is one who hides another's infirmities more faithfully than one's own. There is one who loses all sense of self in the sentiment of kindness, tenderness, and devotion to another. That one is woman. Said President Gordon B. Hinckley, God planted within women something divine that expresses itself in quiet strength, in refinement, in peace, in goodness, in virtue, in truth, in love. And all these remarkable qualities find their truest and most satisfying expression in motherhood. Close quote. Being a mother has never been an easy role. Some of the oldest writings in the world admonish us not to forsake the law of our mother, instruct us that a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother, and warn us not to ignore our mother when she's old. The scriptures also remind us that what we learn from our mothers comprise our very core values, as with the 2,000 stripling sons and warriors of Helaman who had been taught by their mothers that if they did not doubt, God would deliver them. And He did. 
Many members of Relief Society do not have husbands. Death, divorce, or lack of opportunity to marry have in many instances made it necessary for a woman to stand alone. Additionally, there are those who have just come from the Young Women's Program. In reality, no one needs stand alone, for a loving father will be by her side to give direction to her life and provide peace and assurance in those quiet moments where loneliness is found and where compassion is needed. Also significant is the fact that the women of Relief Society stand side by side as sisters. May you ever be there to care for each other, to recognize one another's needs. May you be sensitive to the circumstances of each, realizing that some women are facing particular challenges, but that every woman is a valued daughter of our Heavenly Father. As I conclude my remarks, may I share with you an experience of several years ago which depicted the strength of you, dear sisters, in Relief Society. During 1980, the sesquicentennial year of the organization of the Church, each member of the Relief Society General Board was asked to write a personal letter to the Sisters of the Church in the year 2030, 50 years hence. The following is an excerpt from the letter written by Sister Helen Lee Goetz. Quote, Our world of 1980 is filled with uncertainty, but I am determined to live each day with faith and not fear, to trust the Lord and to follow the counsel of our prophet today. I know that God lives, and I love Him with all my soul. I am so grateful that the gospel was restored to the earth 150 years ago and that I can enjoy the blessings of membership in this great Church. I am grateful for the priesthood of God, having felt its power throughout my life. I am at peace in my world and pray that you may be sustained in yours by firm testimonies and unwavering convictions of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Helen Lee Goetz passed away in April of the year 2000. Shortly before her impending death from cancer, Sister Monson and I visited with her and her husband and family. She appeared calm and at peace. She told us she was prepared to go and looked forward to seeing once again her parents and other loved ones who had preceded her. In her life, Sister Goetz exemplified the nobility of Latter-day Saint women. In her passing, she personified your theme. If ye are prepared, ye shall not fear. I bear to you, my beloved sisters, my witness that Heavenly Father lives, that Jesus is the Christ, and that we're led today by a prophet for our time, even President Gordon B. Hinckley. Safe journey to you as you travel along life's pathway. I pray 
In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. The words of the grand anthem of the Restoration, sung at the opening of our meeting, have been in my mind and heart since we first chose the theme. Let Zion in her beauty rise, her light begins to shine, a people to prepare to meet the Lord. It's glorious to think of that promised time when the Lord will return, but it's also sobering to contemplate the changes that may be necessary for each of us to be prepared. Still, dear sisters, as I have met you and as I have seen your commitment, I believe that we are not, as a people, as wanting as we often feel. We have reason for confidence and hope as we prepare. September 1832 was a busy season of preparation for the early saints. The prophet was preparing to move to the John Johnson home southeast of Kirtland, Ohio. Other brethren were preparing to leave for Missouri. In the midst of these preparations, Joseph Smith received the revelation that we now know as Section 64 of the Doctrine and Covenants. After instructing the men going to Missouri, the Lord reminded them, But all things must come to pass in their time. Wherefore, be not weary in well-doing, for ye are laying the foundation of a great work, and out of small things proceedeth that which is great. These verses are a guide for us as we prepare ourselves and our families to live in perilous times. We must not become weary of doing good, and we must not become impatient. The changes we seek will come about in their time. Most important, the great works we wish to do will proceed from small things. One of the small things I've learned is that I must find time to fill my own spiritual reservoir each day. It's tempting to make a massive list of my failings and then to work at them, as a friend of mine says, as though I'm killing snakes. Self-improvement may be kind of a work project, but it is, at heart, a change of heart. When we women struggle to keep up with life, raising children, providing necessities, attending school, dealing with issues of age or ill health, our own spirituality often ends up at the bottom of our long to-do lists. Scripture study and prayer will bring change, but not automatically. If we read with one eye and pray with half a heart, we're engaging in a ritual. And while that time is not worthless, it isn't fully productive either. We need, with the support of family, to clear enough time to study not just to read, to contemplate, feel, and wait for answers. The Lord has promised us that He will strengthen us, fortify, and refresh us if we will take time for Him each day. Sisters, we must prepare if we wish to serve, and we must serve if we wish to prepare. When I was 16, I was called to teach the three-year-olds in what was then called the Junior Sunday School. You know, there was such a thing in the olden days. I taught some very busy children. 
They climbed on and under chairs and on the table, and they never seemed to stop moving. I was dreadfully inexperienced, and during the first few weeks, I wondered if I had done the right thing in accepting the call. But I persisted, and what I learned quickly was that I couldn't just pray for help. I had to be prepared. That meant planning activities, stories, and lessons, and it meant having Plan B ready, along with C through Z. Many years later, when I was called to lead a junior Sunday school, I knew how to assist those new teachers. I knew how to enjoy the children, and I knew the importance of being faithful in my calling. I, like many of you, have held numerous callings in the Church. Some have been easier for me than others, but I have tried to magnify each one. But does the phrase, magnify your calling, ever make you nervous? It's worried me. Recently, I read a talk in which President Thomas S. Monson quoted Joseph Smith on the subject. And how does one magnify a calling? Simply by performing the service that pertains to it. Sisters, we can do that. I hear women say that their callings are wearing them out or that they don't have time to serve. But magnifying our callings does not mean staying up all night preparing handouts and elaborate table decorations. It does not mean that each time we do our visiting teaching, we have to take something to our sisters. Sometimes we are our own worst enemies. Let's simplify. The message of a good lesson comes through spiritual preparation. Let's put the focus on the principles of the gospel and on the material in our study guides. Let's prepare to create an interesting exchange of ideas through discussion, not through extra invented work that makes us so weary we come to resent the time we spend in fulfilling our callings. When we are called to serve, we're not offered a release date. Our lives are our service. Lois Bonner, a woman in my stake who is 92 years old, began serving as a visiting teacher when she married over 65 years ago. She still faithfully serves. The Nelsons from Canada and the Ellsworths from Utah as missionaries taught, mentored, and loved those of us who were in a small, growing ward in Missouri. We learned through them the joy of service and benefited from the wisdom of their experiences. I can think of no better way to thank our Father for all He gives us than to serve His children in every age of our lives. Finally, sisters, I am coming to understand the meaning and importance of our offerings, specifically our tithes and offerings. Throughout the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord admonishes us to care for each other and to give of our temporal resources to build the kingdom of God. In fact, our willingness to do this is one of the prerequisites for the Lord's returning to the earth. Though each of our circumstances may differ, it is important for us to give all that we can. The Lord has never required us to give all that we have. But it is important for him to know that we would and could do it if asked. 
In one stake where my husband and I lived, our stake president challenged members to double their fast offerings and prepare for the blessings that would come. I can now bear personal testimony that the Lord will bless us in unfathomable ways if we are true and faithful in giving generously. Spirituality through prayer and study, service to others, generous tithes and offerings, these are not new principles. These are some of the small things that are prerequisites to that which is great. In the verse that follows, we learn what the Lord requires of us. He requires the heart and a willing mind. It is our hearts and our minds that must be made new. We each have our failings, our weaknesses, our less-than-perfect attitudes. The Lord asks us to open ourselves to Him, holding nothing back. He says to us, Seek not thine own life. Seek my will and to keep my commandments. The newness of heart comes when we do and give all we can, then offer our heart and will to the Father. As we do this, our Father promises us that our lives now and in eternity will be abundant. We need not fear. Sisters, don't become weary in doing good. If we are patient, we can experience the change of heart we seek. For most of us, this will only require a slight change of course, sending us toward true north. The adjustments we must make are in those small things, but that does not mean they are easy. Too many forces are confusing our compass, but the pull to the polar star is one that we recognize. It is the direction toward home. I bear witness to you of the reality of the promises of the Father to us, His beloved daughters. I testify that as we attune our lives to emulate the life shown us by the Savior, we will know that the light of Zion is arising, that we are becoming a people prepared for His return. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. It will now be my pleasure to address you. At the conclusion of my remarks, the choir will sing, Consider the Lilies. Sisters, I rejoice that we're together tonight. Thank you for your countless acts of compassion, your ever-expanding testimonies, your endless supply of casseroles. You make a difference. You are sunshine for the soul. In these perilous times, I find comfort in the promise that if we are prepared, we shall not fear. Relief Society helps us be prepared, not just temporally, but spiritually. But Relief Society cannot help us in our preparation without our participation. I worry that sometimes some of you feel that you don't fit in Relief Society, that you don't belong. Whether you feel too young or too old, too rich or too poor, too intelligent or too undereducated, none of us is too different to belong. If I could have my heart's desire, it would be that every one of you felt like you fit, that you belong to Relief Society. I testify to you that you do belong to Relief Society, the Good Shepherd's Fold for Women. 
I empathize with President Joseph F. Smith when he said back in 1907, Today is too much the case that our young, vigorous, intelligent women feel that only the aged should be connected with the Relief Society. Then he declared, This is a mistake. I recently visited Ethiopia, where I met Jennifer Smith. If ever a woman could say she didn't fit, it was Sister Smith. She said, I was so unlike the other sisters in our branch—language, clothing, <laughs> culture. All seemed to be a gap between us. But when we spoke of the Savior, the gap narrowed. When we spoke of a loving Heavenly Father, there was no gap. She continued, We cannot change nor take away the burdens of others, but we can include and belong to each other in love. These sisters found a piece of Zion by becoming of one heart and one mind. For if ye are not one, says the Lord, ye are not mine. President Hinckley has said that if we will be united and speak with one voice, our strength will be incalculable. As sisters in Zion, how do we become one? The same way we belong to a spouse or to a family. We share who we are, our feelings, our thoughts, our hearts. In one ward, mothers introduce their daughters to Relief Society when they turn 18 in a Sunday meeting. One mother tenderly expressed how her Relief Society sisters had nurtured her from her early marriage. They had brought meals and hugs in time of sorrow, laughter and support for celebration. They have taught me the gospel by visiting me and letting me visit them. They have allowed me to make mistakes on their time. This mother then explained to the daughter how the daisies in the garden came from Carolyn, the lilies from Venice, the buttercups from Pauline. The daughter was amazed. Her mother replied, These women are my sisters in every way, and I am grateful to bring you into their care. It's the variety in the garden that contributes to the beauty. We need daisies and lilies and buttercups. We need gardeners who water, nurture, and care. Unfortunately, Satan knows that sharing unites our sisterhood through the everyday and through the eternities. He knows that selfishness will, be, be, will begin to destroy sharing, which destroys unity, which destroys Zion. Sisters, we cannot let the adversary divide us. You see, a perfect oneness, said Brigham Young, will save a people. And I would add that a perfect oneness will save our society. We are reminded by President Boyd K. Packer that too many sisters think that Relief Society is merely a class to attend. Sisters, he counseled, you must graduate from thinking that you only attend Relief Society to feeling that you belong to it. Our sense of belonging begins on Sunday as we hear each other's voices. No teacher should give her lesson to a group of silent sisters because the lesson is our lesson. Belonging is being needed, loved, and missed when you're away. Belonging is needing, loving, and missing those who are away. What is the difference between attending and belonging? Relief Society is not just a Sunday class. It is a divine gift to us as women. 
Here are just two reasons why I feel I belong to Relief Society, and it's not just because of my current calling. I was feeling down last month when my visiting teachers came. Sue is divorced, and Kate is one of my formal laurels. They brought the message and a prayer, but they also brought real concern. I felt lifted and loved. One of my sisters in Relief Society offered a prayer not long ago and asked Heavenly Father to bless me by name in my responsibilities. She didn't know my specific needs, but she knew my heart. Now, maybe your visiting teachers haven't come recently, or maybe you haven't been prayed for by name. I'm sorry if that's been so. But you don't have to be visit taught to be a good visiting teacher, and you don't have to be prayed for to pray. In spite of our differences, if we will share generously and honestly, our sisters also will share. Sharing will help us know one another's heart, and belonging will flower like a garden. Sister Smith and our Ethiopian sisters learned that differences don't matter. For belonging is charity, the pure love of Christ in action, and charity never faileth. Whether we serve in primary or young women, whether we're active or less so, whether we're married or single, whether we're spring chickens or fall hands, we all belong to Relief Society. I'm a fall hand, but I feel like a spring chicken. <laughs> we need your voices, your feelings, your hearts. Relief Society needs you. And do you know what? You need Relief Society. When you participate, when you don't participate, you're depriving yourself and you're depriving Relief Society. Sisters, we can have no division in Relief Society. All members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all members rejoice with it. For the body hath need of every member that all may be edified together, that the system may be kept perfect. Yes, Relief Society can be more fun, more joyful, more unifying. Our burdens can be lightened, our loads lessened. Relief Society is not perfect because not one of us is, but we can work on it. We can perfect it together as we take our own steps forward. How? By just changing our attitudes. How we talk about Relief Society affects how others feel about Relief Society, especially young women. Be supportive of Relief Society presidencies and teachers. Let them learn on our time, just as we will learn on theirs. Forgive more and judge less. Be a caring, consistent visiting teacher. Attend home family and personal enrichment meeting with enthusiasm. Look for what's good about Relief Society and build on it. President Joseph F. Smith issued a charge that we take hold of the work of Relief Society with vigor, with intelligence, and unitedly for the building up of Zion. If we believe that the Lord's Church has been restored, and we do, then we must believe that Relief Society is an essential part of His organizational fold. We need to stop asking whether we fit, because we do. Our differences are not so great that we cannot build Zion together. Nearly a year ago, in Pasadena, California, 
Sister Janice Burgoyne was dying of cancer. She had shared generously of herself and was dearly loved. Her Relief Society sisters were bringing her meals, cleaning her house, caring for her two young sons, and helping her husband plan a funeral. It was hard for Janice to receive so much help, knowing that her sisters would find that piece of old toast behind the couch. She worried her sisters would know more than her heart. But because her sisters knew her heart, it didn't matter. They provided carpools, tutored homework, played piano, changed bedding. They did it day after day after day, without complaint, with boundless charity. Such sharing forever changed those sisters. Before she died, Janice turned to a Relief Society sister and asked with gratitude and awe, How does anyone die without Relief Society? To you, my sisters, and you are my sisters, I ask, How does anyone live without Relief Society? Belonging is our sacred birthright. How I would like to bundle you in my arms and go to Relief Society with you. How I would like to know your hearts and have you know mine. Bring your hearts, your charitable hearts, to Relief Society. Bring your talents, your gifts, your individuality, so that we can be one. I testify that the Good Shepherd doth call after us to bring us unto his fold, that we may not, we may not have all the answers, but we must trust that Relief Society is an essential part of His work. For though our path may wind across the mountains, He knows the paths, He knows the meadows where we feed. He clothes the lilies of the field. He feeds the lambs of His fold. He heals those who trust Him and makes our hearts as gold. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. My brothers and sisters, it's about over. As we conclude this historic conference, the words of Rudyard Kipling's immortal recessional come to mind. The tumult and the shouting dies, the captains and the kings depart. Still stands thine ancient sacrifice, and humble and a contrite heart. Lord God of hosts, be with us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. As we return to our homes, may we carry with us the spirit of this great convocation. May what we have heard and experienced remain with us as a residual of love and peace an attitude of repentance and a resolve to stand a little taller in the radiant sunlight of the gospel. May our testimonies of the great foundation principles of this work, which have been burnished more brightly, shine forth from our lives and our actions. May a spirit of love, of peace, of appreciation, for one another increase in our homes. May we be prospered in our labors 
and become more generous in our sharings. May we reach out to those above us in friendship and respect. May our prayers become expressions of thanks to the giver of all good and of love for him who is our Redeemer. Now, my brothers and sisters, I reluctantly, but perhaps desire a personal indulgence for a moment. Some of you have noticed the absence of Sister Hinckley. For the first time in 46 years since I became a general authority, she has not attended general conference. Early this year, we were in Africa to dedicate the Accra Ghana Temple. On leaving there, we flew to Sal, a barren island in the Atlantic, where we met with members of the local branch. We then flew to St. Thomas, an island in the Caribbean. There we met with a few others of our members. We were on our way home when she collapsed with weariness. She's had a difficult time ever since. She's now 92, a little younger than I am. I guess the clock is winding down, and we do not know how to rewind it. It is a somber time for me. We've been married for 67 years this month. <clears throat> she is the mother of our five gifted and able children, the grandmother of 25 grandchildren, and a growing number of great-grandchildren. We've walked together side by side through all of these years, co-equals and companions through storm and sunshine. She has spoken far and wide in testimony of this work, imparting love, encouragement, and faith Wherever she's gone, women have written letters of appreciation from all over the world. We continue to hope and pray for her and express from the depths of our hearts our appreciation for all who have attended her and looked after her and for your great faith and prayers in her behalf. Now. May we go to our homes, I again say. God be with you till we meet again. By his counsels, God upholds you. When life's perils thick confound you, put his arms unfailing round you. Keep love's banner floating o'er you. Smite death's threatening wave before you. God be with you till we meet again. Every man, woman, and child, boy and girl, should leave this conference a better individual than he or she was when it began two days ago. I leave my blessing and my love with each of you in the sacred name of Jesus Christ. Amen.